And one of the things we find in the course of the New Testament is that it seems like Paul at least has a lot to say about what it means to walk worthily or walk in a worthy manner. And uh, what we want to discuss is actually a passage out of chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians and another passage we want to look at in chapter 4. Um, specifically, the three things I want us to see today is, first of all, that we do indeed need to walk worthily. There's a certain way to walk. And that the apostles showed us uh, the, the nature of that walk and, and the example of that walk and the way that we have those things together. And from that, I want us to build on that, that we walk according to the will of God, that we focus on His will, and finally, that we walk in holiness. In chapter 2, of course, the, the letter of 1 Thessalonians is, a, of course, very significant. And it's interesting to see that positive, uh, the, the positivity that Paul has about the people themselves. You know, there are some letters like in the, in the Corinthian letter when we study that we recognize that Paul, when he introduces uh, the letter to them, he's not talking about what they're doing that's, that's right, because there's a lot of things wrong about what they're doing. But in fact, he focuses on the things that God has done for them. But you notice in uh, the first chapter of uh, the Thessalonian letter here, in verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. You know, all the good things that they're doing, he's appreciating that. And from that, I think it's important that we note too that this letter is not about just, you know, you're doing great, keep, keep going, you know, keep doing what you're doing. There's always a better level. There's always an increase in our walk with Christ. When we're talking about being worthy, that's really what I want to talk about. Uh, he's, he's telling them here to keep on doing what they do, to, but begging and exhorting them to hold to it and not being, not being uh, pulled back into other such things. So we look in verse 1. If you'll read there with me, verses uh, 1 and 2. He says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain, but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. To walk worthy, and what, we, what I pull from that is in, in verse 12. We'll get to that in just a few minutes. Um, their association, as he says, was not in vain. It wasn't pointless. And because of this, we see that there must be a purpose, even if conflict is there. I want us to mark here and let's look back to uh, what seems to be the first time that Paul went to Thessalonica back in Acts 17 and we'll read the first four verses but you know just generalize what comes next because uh, that, that's a very important thing for us to recognize. Acts 17 and verse 1 Now when they had passed through Amphibolus and Apollonia they came to Thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three, th for, excuse me, for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women joined Paul and Silas. 
And we find in verse 5, the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. There's almost a chaotic uprising that happens not too long after this. And I think that's the conflict that Paul is referring to back in 1 Thessalonians 2. Uh, that, that the fact that we have been spitefully treated, verse 2, in Philippi, but he says we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. How easy is it when we have troubles, brothers and sisters, to not focus so much on actually encouraging the truth? Maybe we feel like the truth needs to be set aside in the light of some great conflict, when in reality the truth is what we need to get through that very conflict. Conflict should never discourage us from sharing the gospel among ourselves and others. Uh, Just because some people will uh, fight against it or be hostile to it doesn't mean that we should be timid or afraid to share it with others who might actually listen. So we need to remember that. Let's go back and and read the the rest of the the passage here in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 3 here. He says, For our exhortation did not come from error uncleanness, nor was it in deceit, but as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. There must be no deception in our sharing of the gospel. And it's interesting when you see this, their exhortation, their invitation was a pure one. It wasn't born in error. It wasn't, wasn't taking place in terms of error uh, 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 meaning really straying from or transgression. It, it wasn't a part of uncleanness or impurity, and it wasn't trickery. It wasn't deceit. It wasn't guile. They taught as God gave them approval. And what's interesting thing here is, you know, people talk about you know the the, the statement of what we would call the Restoration Movement: be be silent where the spot, Bible is silent, and speak where the Bible speaks. Right. Well, this is the closest we get, I think, to a New Testament statement of that. As we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. We speak on that basis. And they taught as God gave them approval. The motivation was not to please men, but to please God. And why is that? Because He is the tester of our hearts. He knows where we are. He knows who we are. And if we search all of our time trying to uh, be approved of men, we're not going to be teaching the truth. We need to be careful, brethren, about uh, tricking people into the truth, don't we? Now, some people will even say, well, let's just let's get them baptized and then we'll teach them from that point. Now, I know not everybody needs to, to know everything to be baptized, but we need to make sure that we're sharing those right things and being open and honest about our uh, uh, sharing of the gospel in a sense where we're putting out there logically and reasonably, we're not trying to uh, manipulate people into serving and obeying God. We need to make sure we're not doing that. You know, someone, for example, who, uh, who maybe has a lot of Christian friends at work, maybe they work for uh, a fellow, maybe the guy that owns the business is a Christian, and most of the people who work for him is a Christian, you know? What's it going to do if all those people there say, hey, listen, if you obey the gospel, hey, you may get a promotion, things like that, you know, or try to tie strings to it. Um, You know, that would be wrong. And we could see that very clearly. There must be glory from God and not man. Look at at verses uh, 5 and 6. 
For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak for covetousness, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. This reminder is so great that they're not trying to use flattery or trying to cover greed. Paul makes the motivations clear. And, and think about this, when an apostle is saying God is our witness, doesn't that carry some weight with it? You know, don't you think that the people at that time, uh, you know, you even had people, uh, Christians who were not apostles, who had spiritual gifts, who could <laughs> seek and search out if, if Paul was telling the truth or not. And that's why in, in the Corinthian letters, Paul says, if anyone thinks themselves to be a prophet or spiritual, let them acknowledge that the things that I'm writing are the commandments of God. And so the, the, the fact that Paul is not worried about that, he's putting it all in the line. He's saying, we didn't try to, to use flattering words or, or use a cloak for covetousness. We weren't trying to cover up greed. We were openly showing you these things. And of course, they weren't seeking glory from men. Many people today will seek men's glory. Uh, things like you know, the, the situation with uh, the movie business, the music business, with politics. All the ways that we can find the glory of men, that's, that's a problem when that's what we're seeking. The apostles could have received that if that's what they had wanted, though. Uh, the apostles could have had a life of ease and comfort and made sure that everybody, hey, we're, we're the apostles of Jesus, we're special, we're important. And there was a special aspect to their work. But these men worked in such a way that they had a great example of meekness and they emulated their master Jesus. Jesus himself pushed for the glory of his Father, not his own glory. In John 8 and verse 54, Jesus says there, If I glorify myself, my glory is nothing. It is my Father who glorifies me, of whom you say that he is our God. So that needs to be our mindset too. I'm not looking for my benefit in this. I'm looking for the benefit of others and, of course, the benefit of God. Uh, look at verse 7. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe, as you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So it's interesting that Paul is using his own example. He's using the example of the apostles. He's using the example of the teachers among them. And he's saying, this is the way that you ought to walk. This is the way that you ought to go. Let's make sure, brethren, that we're not allowing our uh, supposed humility to get in the way of us being that proper example. Uh, yes, we don't need to lord things over others and say, you ought to do things the way I do them just because I'm better than you. But we have to have a place where we say, you know, the things that I'm doing right in God, that's what others need to be following as well. Not because they're following me, but as uh, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So I don't want anyone, for example, to follow my misdeeds or my mistakes. But if I have good things in my life, 
that are a good example, I need to be willing to show that to others and encourage others to do that. You look at the way, the, the, the balance that he had here. How gentle is a nursing mother with her own children in verse 7? And uh, how, how gentle does that mean that we need to be with each other and to guide each other in these ways? But at the same time, uh, the fact in verse 11, he charged every one of you as a father does his own children. That great balance is what we need. We need that gentleness, but also that balance uh, that we indeed walk worthy. In fact, one translation in verse 12 says that you would make your walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. And I think that's kind of what we're looking at, is that I need to look at my walk and say, what does that look like? What does my life look like in the comparison of the way that Paul walked and the comparison of the way the Christian of the first century walked? And uh, how does that measure up to the greatest example, Jesus? Well, let's look further in chapter 4 and verse 1. Chapter 4 of 1 Thessalonians and verse 1. And of course, this is in a different section of it, but I think this kind of goes along with it. Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. When he says this, when he's talking about this, again, he's, he's sort of winding down the, the, the letter, more or less, and he's encouraging them. He's, in fact, the old King James, we beseech and exhort you. We're begging you to do this. And so this is a serious exhortation. He's not, he's not just suggesting these things. He's pleading. And we need to remember, of course, when Jesus' name and authority is invoked, we're looking at a very important passage. And as they had received, receiving carries the idea of welcoming. So as you receive from us how you ought to walk, some people will welcome the doctrine and others will reject it. But the fact that we receive the word of God brings a responsibility. And he's saying, since you received how we ought to walk, remember the concept of being walking worthily, walking in this right way. This tells us that there is indeed a particular way to walk. There is a way that we need to go. Of course, we know that some say that there is no defined way to walk that the gospel is a story, the Bible is a story, and we, from our point, we make up our own story to add to that story. And others will say that God has only given us limited information so we can make our own way. But we need to walk according to His will. Why do we have so many examples of the ways that we ought to walk, the, the ways that we ought to behave ourselves, the ways that we ought to treat each other? Why do we have all these things? if we're just supposed to make up our own way. We neglect this great gift by thinking we have it all figured out, brothers and sisters. He says in verse 2, you know the commandments we gave you. Again, the serious here is, uh, seriousness here is emphasized. It's not suggestions. These are commands. And note, uh, again, in 1 Corinthians 14, things I write to you, the commandments of the Lord. Let me suggest something. What do they know? They knew what had been left by Paul. 
And if you go all the way back to <laughs> chapter 1, the fact that he's saying, you know, we don't need to say anything, verse 8, right? The, the word of the Lord has sounded forth from them. He says, your faith toward God has gone out. So there were some special things that they had, that they had been given. And when you think about this, in terms of the commandments given to us, let me suggest that if we don't understand the authority of God, that, that's really the, the central aspect of it. And if I don't understand the authority of God, I don't understand that God is my creator. Because that's the foundation of it all. If God created us, He has authority. And He has the ability to tell me which way I should go and which way I should not. And there is no place in, in any part of me that can say, I know you said this, God, but I want to do this other thing, and I think you'll be okay with it. You see, if we don't understand that, if we think that if God hasn't laid out a sin clearly for me to see, then it's not a sin, if we think that there's some way that we can be okay with sin and God be okay with us, we really have to understand that authority is key. If we do not get the authority of God, I'm not sure there's any place for us to go in serving Him. And so they know the commands that they were being given. And what's, what's the will of God? What's the point? He says, your sanctification. Let me say, this is not just about sexual immorality, but Paul is taking this general thing. God's will is to your sanctification. And, of course, we know that throughout life, we may become unjustified, right? When we sin against God, we're not really justified again at that point, but we have to seek out God, and we need to repent and come back to Him. And in that sense, we're sanctified again. But we cannot abound. We cannot increase more and more. Look at that. You know, Remember uh, in verse 1, you should abound more and more. I can't increase if all I'm stuck in is habitual backsliding and always getting tripped up and saying, well, this is, you know, this is just the way things are. You see, it's interesting when you think about that too because if I have a mindset that says, Every trip up, every, every problem that I have there, I'm going to use that as a stepping stone. I'm going to get better from that. I'm going to improve in following that command. That's the kind of mindset we need to have, right? But the mindset that says, I can't do anything about that. And, and I'm just going to accept that that's a part of my life. That's what keeps us from increasing. You see, it's not, it's not just about saying, well, I'm getting better in this and that. It's about overall saying, am I better than I was yesterday? And that's, that's really what we need to be thinking about. This is why it's important to have the mindset to, as Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. We are in a battle, and we know that, and we're in a battle for, for our souls. So God wants us to be sanctified, which means set apart or made holy, and he says that each of you know, each, of, each one should know, verse 4, how to possess himself of his own vessel in sanctification and honor. Christians are not in ignorance of how they should walk. Many will claim ignorance, and maybe they are truly ignorant. But even in ignorance, 
disobedience is not tolerated by God. And so any place where I find that I'm ignorant, maybe I reach a question, maybe I don't know the answer to, I've got to get back to the Word. And, and maybe there are some questions that we have a really hard time answering. We've got to get back to the Word. Keep studying together and working harder to, to uh, find answers for these questions. But how to possess ourselves? Our vessels are simply our bodies. That's exactly what we have. Our flesh is not a curse, it's a blessing. We're given this life for a particular purpose. That purpose is to use this body not for our own lusts and for our own gratification, but for our sanctification, our ongoing and increasing purity. And, in verse 4, sanctification and honor, attributing value and worth. What kind of value and worth do you attribute to yourself? Can I suggest that if you think of yourself as worthless, that's not accurate? Didn't Jesus say that you're worth more than the sparrows? You mean something. We are, we are valued in a certain way, and we need to make sure that, like God, we are valuing ourselves. That doesn't mean that I laud myself or puff myself up. It doesn't mean that I'm the most important thing in the world. I, just, I, I can't live my life thinking that I'm worthless, that I'm just trash. I have to live my life in such a way that I value myself, and the only way to do that is to walk worthy of Christ. And that's why I say, if you find yourself in a way this morning where I'm not where I should be, and I know I ought not to be where I am, you need to change. We all need to change all these things about us. But we're going to spend our whole lives getting to where God wants us to be. I believe that when God takes me from this life, whenever that is, I'll have been given all the opportunities that I could have possibly had to make all the changes that I need to make. I think there's a reason as to why we all go when we go. Is that we can be properly prepared for that home in heaven with Him. If we walk in whatever way we decide, not the way that God has given us, we don't honor our vessel, we don't appreciate it. See, that's, that's the real secret about the worldliness that we have in the world. That's the real secret about, uh, for example, false teachers. And, and, and people who don't regard the Word of God, they don't really love themselves. They don't really care about what's best for them, right? Maybe they're uh, infatuated with themselves. Maybe they're selfish about things, but they don't truly love themselves. Let's follow on in, in verse 5. How, how are we not to walk, Paul? Well, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. And so we don't walk like the Gentiles who don't know God. I don't think he's talking about specifically, racially, culturally, the Gentiles, uh, the Gentiles could just as easily mean the nations, the, the worldly place, right? God is telling his people, don't be like the world that doesn't care about me. Don't be like them. And if we really, truly care for God, we're, we're not going to want to follow our own desires. We're going to want to be conformed to what he wants. 
And so we know where not to go and the kind of walk not to have. And that no one defraud his brother, transgress against him and defraud his brother. Um, obvious that we don't defraud others or lie to others, right? But how does this apply? Of course, we know when we don't tell someone the truth about their soul, it's the same thing, isn't it? We have a lie of omission. We leave out the truth. And when we try to lessen the importance of God's commands and hold our brothers and sisters to a lesser standard, we are lying to them and we are being a stumbling block for their souls. We know they ought to go this way, but the situation dictates something else for us. And we're going to say, well, I'm going to hold back that truth. I'm not going to say that. God didn't call us to uncleanness, but in sanctification, as he says. Purity is our calling. And when we degenerate that purity, we make it lesser. We make it not our calling. And note what he says. The the person that rejects this doesn't reject just opinions that men have put together. Just as God said to Samuel in 1 Samuel 8 and verse 7, they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. And that's very significant for us to bring up in this context, in this thought. If I reject the word of God because I say, oh, well, that's just your opinion. Oh, that's just what you think. When in reality, it's the truth that someone just pointed to in Scripture. You know what you're saying? You're saying, I reject the rule of God. You're saying, I don't want to be ruled by God. This creator that made me, I reject him. Let it never be said of us. Remember this when others mock your strong stand within the word of God. That we are taught by him. And there just want to read this passage. And I think really there's some things to consider here. I'll let the lesson be yours. In verse 9. Going on, he says, Concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed, you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. We urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside, and that you may lack nothing. It is so fascinating to note that these brethren already have a handle on brotherly love. There's so much that they already understand and get. But Paul is saying, no, go further. Keep going. Keep going in this walk. You know what the walk is. You know what it ought not to be. Keep going in this way and increase more and more. And look at the whole focus of it. It's not just that God is pleased with us, although that is the core of it. But you look at the fringe benefits here. You know, that that quiet life that we're to have, working with your own hands. Why is that? Verse 12, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside. See, walking worthy is not just about what happens in here. Right? And it's not just about what happens between me and God. We need to be very careful, brethren, that we don't do something wrong toward a sinner and then just sort of like reason it away and say, well they're a sinner anyway, it doesn't really matter. In fact, I would venture to say it might matter even more, depending upon the situation. Are we the stumbling block that's keeping someone from really truly listening to God? Are we the one that's standing in their way? We can say, well, you know, my boss knows, you know, if I'm 
if I'm late for work, then, well, he understands. We need to be careful about that. Even with little things. Do we realize and recognize how unforgiving the world really is? And, and, and how little the love of God that the world actually has in it. We need to really think about this. What's my walk look like? I know Matt will have some more things to say, but um, I think that'll do it for us. Thank you so much for listening this morning. Uh, If you find yourself in light of the word lacking, we want to help you through that. We want to pray with you and pray for you. If you are a Christian, we want to help you in any way if you feel like you need to be restored this morning. Or if you're not a Christian, you want to make things right with God and be converted. We want to help you with that too. If you're willing to come, please do so while we stand and sing.